The Old Testament lesson is from Habakkuk, chapter 1, 1 through 4, and also from chapter 2, 1 through 4. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will, merely, it will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. The epistle lesson is from 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer <clears throat> as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. 
The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 17th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones, these children, to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we're unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Martin Luther says of the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk bears the right name to his commission. For Habakkuk means to hug. And he does so with his prophecy by hugging or embracing his people. He comforts them and he takes them into his arms as, do, as does one with a crying child or adult. With Luther's thoughts in mind, we direct our attention to the prophecy of Habakkuk today, reading the words that were read moments ago to you, but also bringing in the rest of the book, the short book as well. But the oracle of Habakkuk is this, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the, on the tower, and I will look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, Write this vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, and it will not delay. Behold, his faith is puffed up. It is not upright with him, but the righteous shall live by faith. This is our text. God's governance of the world is perplexing. 
Let me just give you a few modern-day examples before we go back to Habakkuk's day. We look around the world, and what do we see? We see gendercide. In both India and China and other countries, the preference for male children results in the prevalence of sex-selective abortions where female fetuses are aborted, specifically because they are female. And this gendercide isn't just over there in other countries, but it's right here in North America. Millions of unborn females are killed every year simply because they're female. And then in some countries, like Afghanistan and Ethiopia and others, school-aged girls are forbidden, forbidden to attend school. And again, simply why? Because they're female. And then almost half of the world's wealth is now owned by just 1% of the population in the world. The 85 richest people in the world have as much wealth as the 3.5 billion poorest. The numbers are staggering. And then there's more than enough food. There's more than enough food produced in the world to feed the global population. But world hunger is affecting nearly 10% of people globally. From 2019 to 2022, the number of undernourished people grew as by as many 150 million, a crisis driven largely by conflict in the COVID-19 pandemic. And then as we look around in the world and we look at our own nation, we see that there is racist behavior, racism of all types. One example is Planned Parenthood. I mean, Planned Parenthood's largest abortion facilities target black and Latino neighborhoods. According to a 2017 research study by Life Issues Institute, 88% of the Planned Parenthood's 25 mega abortion facilities are located within walking distance, walking distance of black and or Latino neighborhoods. And then, of course, there's this mis directed honor or value. I mean, those who lobby for death are granted medals of honor. And those who champion life are vilified and have their homes raided by police authorities early in the morning. Those who campaign for sexual freedom are praised for being courageous, while those who champion God's view of sexuality are called bigots and intolerant. And then there's Christian persecution. We've talked about this before. But in countries like North Korea and Afghanistan and Somalia and Pakistan and Colombia and India and Libya and China and Egypt and Nigeria, and the list goes on, thousands upon thousands of our Christian brothers and sisters are being beaten and separated from their families, never to see them again. They're being imprisoned. Their churches are being closed. They're being martyred for their faith. They're forced to flee their homes, their countries, and then lived in cramped Refugee camps. And so we look around ourselves. We look around this world and we see that the weak are bullied by the strong. The rich are exploited, or the poor are exploited by the rich. 
and Christians are mocked and persecuted by the irreligious and the adherents of other gods. And we cry out, where's the justice? Why does God allow such inequities? Is this not the question that we pose to God? Especially when we see Christians being mistreated and oppressed for their faith while the godless prosper. As I go through this list, don't you feel kind of like you need a comforting hug right about now? And maybe a heartening word from God right about now? I find it reassuring that Habakkuk, the prophet, poses similar questions to God. He says in our text, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or I cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contentions arise. And so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. And so justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk is perplexed. He's discomforted. He's infuriated by the wickedness and the strife and the oppression that are rampant in Judah. And he's bewildered that God seemingly does nothing to stop it or suppress that wickedness. And when the prophet is told that the Lord is going to chastise the people of Judah through the ruthless Babylonians, Habakkuk's bewilderment only intensifies How can God, who is too pure to look on evil, appoint a pagan nation to execute judgment on a people more righteous than themselves? Doesn't make sense. Theodore Leitch, an Old Testament Lutheran scholar, makes a similar observation when he's commenting on this text from Habakkuk. He writes, had God forgotten that in his land his glory was to dwell? and that mercy and truth were to meet together? Had he lost his power? Had God lost his power to establish law and order in his land? Why had he not done anything to make it once more a holy land and Judah a holy people? Why did he not answer the prophet's prolonged cries? Why must the righteous suffer while the wicked flourish? Why? Well, most of chapter 2, in Habakkuk is God's heartening response to Habakkuk's questions. And essentially, the Lord says this. He says, Habakkuk, just wait and watch, and you will see that I will act. The Babylonians, they will be humbled, and they'll be chastised in their due time. They'll be plundered, And they'll be taunted by those who they persecuted. And shame and condemnation will be their destiny. And the idols that they've worshipped and valued will be shown to be lifeless wood and stone. And in addition, the Lord states a matter-of-fact truth. The righteous will live by his faith. The righteous endures the inequities and tribulations of life, trusting in a God 
whose glory covers the heavens and whose power is manifested in the deliverance of his people. When a righteous person is experiencing those puzzling times in life, like when evil is triumphing over good, or when death's destruction is overwhelming life, or when God seems to be missing in action, the person of faith lives by that faith, focusing on the past promises and actions of God. In fact, Habakkuk opens up chapter 3, declaring, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And then the prophet Habakkuk recounts how a merciful God led the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. He writes, in wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people to save your anointed ones. And so trusting in this God, this God of deliverance, this God of salvation, Habakkuk declares, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior, for the Lord is my strength. That's the conclusion of Habakkuk's book. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Lord is my strength. In other words, where's the justice? Look to God. That's where justice is found. Look to God our Savior for salvation and strength. For he who delivered his people in the past will surely deliver his people in the future, just as he has promised. As we witness God's baffling governance of the world's affairs and experience our own bewildering life situations, the Lord states matter-of-factly, the righteous will live by their faith. The righteous will live by faith. By faith in a God who miraculously rescued the people of Israel from Egypt? Yes. By faith in a God who humbled and chastised the Babylonian kingdom while restoring the nation of Israel? Yes. But we especially remember and trust in God's most merciful deed. And God's most merciful deed is this. The death of God himself on Calvary's cross and his resurrection from the dead. You see, it is at the cross of Christ that our Savior takes upon himself all the inequities and all the injustices of this world. And he makes them his own. And he bears his own wrath for our sin and for the sin of this world. It's all poured out on Jesus. God's wrath is all poured out on Jesus as he dies on that cross. Man's hatred toward God is heaped onto Christ the crucified as well. But amid all of this wrath and amidst all of this hatred, God's mercy for humankind prevails. And Jesus' death means evil is conquered. And it means that our sins are forgiven. 
And Jesus' resurrection from the dead means that although we experience suffering and death, and sometimes unjustly, we're ultimately victorious in Christ. What in this world can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Not even death itself, Paul says. St. Paul directs our eyes to our merciful God when he writes, as he did in our epistle lesson, God has saved us and he has called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and was brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And so as we experience the inequities of life, this is what we remember. This is what we go back to. We go back to these acts of deliverance that God has enacted in the past, but especially we go back to the act of deliverance that occurred on the cross. And so to girls who are rejected and banished, who are deemed as unworthy of life and education. We go to such girls and we say, God made you in his image. You are loved by him. To the impoverished believer, we assure them that they're truly rich. They're truly rich in God's grace through Jesus Christ. To the persecuted Christian, we remind them that their Savior who suffered unjustly is with them and that nothing in all of creation, not even death itself, will separate them from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's his promise to them. And to fellow believers who live under a corrupt and evil government, we remind them that Jesus truly does rule and reign. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And to our Christian brothers and sisters who are separated from their family, from their home and their country, maybe never to be reunited again until the day that they arrive in glory. We remind them of that day of glory when they'll be reunited with their loved ones in, in the promised land. And to the Christian parent who watches their child be ravished by cancer or some long life, lifelong disability, we assure them of wholeness in the life hereafter. Where's the justice? When there's injustice all around us? Well, we look to God our Savior for salvation. We look to God for strength, for He who has delivered people in the past will deliver His people in the future just as He has promised. That's it. That's the answer to look at God, our Savior? To trust in Jesus? Is that what you're saying, Pastor Schaefer? I mean, to focus the, our eyes on the cross of Christ, on the resurrection of our Lord, His ascension to heaven, and the fact that He rules and reigns? Is that really what you want us to focus on? Yes, really. But we want immediate relief. We want to see our enemies destroyed. We want to see our lives fixed, restored. 
But that's where Paul's words to the Corinthian Christians speaks to our doubts and, and to the skeptics. St. Paul writes, the message of the cross, well, it's foolishness. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who have been saved, who are being saved, it is the power of God. Oh, it's Jews who demand miraculous signs, and it's Greeks who look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. The foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. And so the righteous live by faith. The righteous look to God, our Savior, for salvation and strength. In so many ways, the answer seems so foolish, doesn't it? It doesn't seem to put our world back together again. And yet that is the message that Habakkuk received from God, and that is the message that Habakkuk directs us towards today. And when we're faced with our trials and tribulations, we look to God, our Savior, who has acted in mercy in the past, and he'll act in mercy today, and he'll act in mercy in the future as well for his people. And we live in a world that needs God's mercy. A world that needs God's salvation and strength. Jesus' life was a life of mercy ministry, wasn't it? Mercy for the blind and mercy for the outcast. Mercy for the tormented. Mercy for the poor. Mercy for the displaced. Mercy for the orphaned. Mercy for the, or, uh, for the widowed. Mercy for every sinner. And in mercy... Jesus says to those who don't deserve it, but who come to him with repentant hearts, your sins are forgiven. And when Jesus speaks those words, your sins are forgiven, that makes everything right with God. Jesus' mercy ministry continues today through us, through you and me. The great command for our life is be merciful just as your Father in heaven is merciful. St. Paul adds, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So Martin Luther says of times of despair and despondency, here is a case where mortals are bound to each other by a chain of misery. But mercy ought to break the fetters. Yes, God sends us into this world to be agents of his mercy. We who know of and have received God's mercy through Jesus Christ share his mercy through our words and our deeds. We share God's mercy when we support agencies like Lutheran World Relief, who engage on our behalf all around the world in acts of mercy for both believers and unbelievers. It's through agencies like Lutheran World Relief that we provide education for not just boys, but for girls. It's through agencies like Lutheran World Relief where we provide prevention and treatment for people who are, who are struggling with HIV and AIDS. 
It's through agencies like Lutheran World Relief where we provide sweaters and other needed necessities for people who find themselves in refugee camps. It's through agencies like Lutheran World Relief where we send relief and aid to people who are experiencing catastrophic events in other parts of the world or even like in our own nation. It's through agencies like Lutheran World Relief where we, through them, help people improve their farming practices, where they learn microfinancing so they can make more money to feed their family at home. And it's through like agencies like the Pregnancy Resource Center right here in our own city that we provide education about the dangers of having sex outside the institution of marriage. Where teenagers learn and, and young adults learn about STIs and STDs and unplanned pregnancies. It's through our support of the Pregnancy Resource Center where people receive health care services free of charge like pregnancy tests and ultrasounds. It's through agencies like the Pregnancy Resource Center where we support the new parent by providing them with formula and diapers and other essential equipment and mentoring. And it's through Pregnancy Resource Centers that we provide prayer and Christ-centered counseling to women and men who are in so desperate need of the hope that Christ alone can give. And it's through agencies like Nikum and Mel Trotter and the Kids Food Basket that we, in partnership with these organizations, provide food for children who wake up hungry and who go to bed hungry right here in our own city. It's through agencies like that that we provide food and clothing and shelter, even on the coldest nights of winter. And it's through our congregation, as we minister together, that we, too, provide care and love and support mercy to the people of our community through things like we'll be having this week with the second best sale through events like trunk of treats and the back to school block party that we hosted and through any number of other things that we do and of course that doesn't even count all of the things that you personally do as an agent of mercy in your own life as you represent Jesus to your family and your friends and your neighbors and you go out and volunteer your time and you serve other people of our community in the name of Jesus. Mercy is shown. God's mercy is shown as we share the love of Jesus with others. And this brings us full circle. It's what Habakkuk did. Habakkuk, he could not change the plight of the people of Judah. He could not fend off the Babylonians, nor could he provide food and clothing and shelter for all of their needs. And the land was taken away from the people of Judah. Family members were separated never to see each other again. Some were imprisoned and even killed in the beloved temple, the national symbol of Israel, Solomon's temple, was destroyed. But Habakkuk reminded them, in the midst of all of that turmoil, he reminded them of the merciful acts of God. He reminded them that this God who they worshipped and who loved them had delivered the people of Israel to the promised land. He reminded them that that God had taken down the walls of Jericho. He reminded them all of these things. And he assured them 
that this same God of mercy would be merciful to them too in the midst of their Babylonian captivity and in their future where he'd restore the nation. And that's what we can do as well. We may not be able to change the circumstances in which people find themselves. But we can go and speak of a merciful God and tell them especially of Jesus Christ. For he is the God of our salvation. He is the source of our strength to persevere. And we do this not just by telling them of this merciful God, but we do it through our actions as we go as God's agents of mercy and we minister in his name. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.